Welcome to Shelter in Place, a podcast about finding daily sanity in a world that feels increasingly insane. Coming to you from Oakland, California, I'm Laura Joyce Davis. Before I get started, I want to give a huge shout out to Alexis and Matt Iaconis at Brick and Mortar and Delta Wines. Even in these tough times, they've stepped up to be the first sponsor of Shelter in Place. I can personally vouch for both the quality of wines you'll receive and the integrity of this small local business, which needs your support to survive right now. When you order wine from brickandmortarwines.com or winesforchange.com, you can get 10% off your order by using the promo code SHELTER. If you order six or more bottles from Brick and Mortar, you'll also get free shipping and overnight shipping in California. I feel sad today in a way that I haven't since all of this started. I'm sure it's at least in part the accumulation of so many restless nights when I didn't sleep as well or as long as I would have liked. I've learned from experience that when depression starts to creep in, a good night's sleep helps more than just about anything I can do or say. But I think it's also the reality of our situation seeping into my life in a more enduring way, at least temporarily. The gift of the presence of most of the people I love has been lost. It's been great to keep up with friends and family through video chats or Voxer. But there's pressure in technology to fill the spaces, to not waste anyone's time. I feel this most acutely with the people who are thousands of miles away, who I can't just wave to through the window or call out to from my front porch. Even phone calls can't duplicate the intangibles of in-person interactions. There's a quiet that we allow ourselves in the spaces between words when we're together, especially in those moments when we're walking or sharing a meal or sitting by a fire or holding each other in an embrace. Those kinds of moments feel sacred now. The U.S. now has the highest number of confirmed cases of COVID-19 in the world. In Italy, there have been 8,165 deaths, more than anywhere else in the world. When I read this news, there's a heaviness that I can't seem to shake. I keep thinking about all the patients in hospitals around the world, and not just those who have the coronavirus, but those who are undergoing other necessary procedures. A nurse I know told me this week that there are no visiting hours at her hospital. She gave me permission to share the story she told me about having to tell a woman whose husband was about to have brain surgery that she couldn't see him until after he came home. How the woman lashed out in anger and then wept at being kept away from her loved one in his greatest hour of need. Allowing myself to sit with these thoughts is hard. I'd rather brush past them. It would feel better to distract myself with something that at least temporarily makes me feel happy. But I think there's real value in grieving and not just over our own disappointments and losses. Grief connects us not just across distance, but time. In the ongoing Marco Polo conversation I've been having with three of my friends for the past two weeks, the suffering of the past keeps surfacing. Not our own, but the suffering of our grandparents, who came from three different continents and who suffered in ways that make us Americans look a little soft by comparison. Their generation was called the greatest generation because of what they survived and how they responded to war, economic depression, genocide, and so much ongoing trauma. 
I wonder if we can draw upon their generational wisdom if it's too late to ask them to guide us. Dr. Chuck DeGroat, who I talked about in episode seven, said something that I can't stop thinking about this week. He said that the people grappling with our current situation best aren't the people you'd expect. The people who know best how to lead us right now are those who have experienced suffering in their bodies all their lives, who have always been cast out by society, who know what it is to experience real enduring pain. He talked about women he knows who were victims of sexual violence, who are not flinching in the face of this pandemic because their own grief and healing has trained them for a moment such as this. Last week, my friend Arthi sent me a wonderful piece by author Pavitra Mehta about her experience of caring for her husband who was undergoing treatment for an acute form of bone marrow suppression. Her words helped me today, and she gave me permission to share some of them with you. She says, Life is fragile. Nature's design awe-inspiring. Changes in each moment. None of this is new information. But the lived experience of it is fresh, keen, and bittersweet. As I told a new friend, it has softened my gaze, opened doors of compassion for the world that I didn't even know were closed. How kindred you and I and all of us are in this thin wrapper of mortality. How casually I have wielded it all these years, this double-edged sword of being human and all its extraordinary potentials for hurt and healing. I remember the morning after our first night back from the hospital. I woke up and felt like my whole mind and being were enveloped in a deep blanket of peace. The last two days have been a hot blur, a whirling surreality. Now it is just the two of us, here in our shaded room, the quiet air and the strength of our longtime love between us, and a certainty blooming inside me like a flower in the desert. Everything is going to be fine. My husband opens his eyes. I lean over and repeat these words. Everything is going to be fine. He smiles and his eyes crinkle at the corners. Everything is going to be fine. And everything is fine, he says, in a voice fuzzy with sleep. And after the space of a heartbeat adds gently, you have to expand the definition of fine. Suffering can be a great teacher if we're willing to learn. It can soften our gaze, give us more compassion for the homeless man who lives beside the highway off-ramp, or the mother who has escaped extreme violence in her own country only to face more violence at the border of another. It can expand our definition of fine to include grief and lament as well as joy. We live so long as if the goal of life were our own happiness and comfort, but a life that's all about us is an empty one. Our grandparents would not have survived famine, drought, genocide, war, and economic devastation if all they had to live for was their own happiness. I'm looking to those past generations for wisdom right now, and also to those in the present for whom suffering isn't an event, but a way of life. I'm resisting the urge to turn to distractions to find a way to numb the pain. I'm looking to people in my life and in the world who can lead us right now, who have secured their hope on something deeper and more enduring than themselves. And I'm allowing myself to do the hard work of sitting with the suffering in our world, of empathizing and grieving. It's not fun to take all that in, but it helps. 
because it reminds me that even though our world has never faced something exactly like this before, there's nothing new about suffering. Maybe it's not too late for us to learn from the generations of the past or from the people in our society now who we all too often silence or ignore or push aside. A few days after she told me her story, I asked my nurse friend about the man who had brain surgery. She said later, after the surgery, she checked in on him. He was talking to someone, though he was alone in the room. She overheard him say his wife's name. My friend thought about offering a FaceTime call, but stopped herself. He was covered in bandages, and he looked pretty bad. He seemed peaceful as he conjured his wife in this moment when she couldn't be with him. She didn't want to interrupt that. Maybe this was what his brain needed to deal with the trauma. If there's someone in your life who came to mind as you listened to today's episode, I encourage you to reach out to them, maybe even to invite them to guide you through this time. This is a chance for us to look for leaders in unlikely places, in hospice, in addiction recovery houses, in homeless encampments, even in prisons. Maybe there's someone in your own home who has stories they've never told because no one has asked. Maybe we can finally honor the daily suffering they've endured and invite them to teach us about the ways they've learned to live in and yet not be defeated by suffering. The piece I read from today is called The Privilege of Living, and it was published in Parabola. You can find a link to it in my show notes, as well as a link to Pavitra Mehta's book, Infinite Vision. In episode eight, I talked about creating in a time of crisis. I want to let you all know about a virtual panel discussion that's happening today from noon to one, hosted by Corduroy Media. It's called Creativity in a Time of Crisis, and it'll feature Bay Area creatives talking about how COVID-19 has affected them and how they're navigating the current challenges and adjusting approaches in production, marketing, and communication. I posted the flyer and the Zoom link in my show notes, which you can find at laurajoycedavis.com. If you've enjoyed today's episode of Shelter in Place, I would love it if you could rate it and review it wherever you listen, share it with a friend, and subscribe. The Shelter in Place music was composed by Chase Horseman at Reactor Productions, and the Shelter in Place artwork was created by Sarah Edgel. As always, you can find links to the things I mentioned in each episode in my show notes at laurajoycedavis.com. Until tomorrow... This is Shelter in Place. I'm Laura Joyce Davis.